Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. What's up, Generations Church family? This is Pastor Jeremy, and man, I wish I could be there with you today. Unfortunately, we, our whole family, are under a quarantine due to exposure from the coronavirus, and so we're trying to make sure we keep you safe, and so we're not there this weekend. But thankfully, this weekend, we already had it planned for Pastor Matt Popham to be speaking as we continue in our Won't You Be My Neighbor series. And I'm really excited about Pastor Matt speaking today because a few weeks ago, you'll probably remember now, we made the announcement that Pastor Matt and his family and Pastor Steve Mallow and his family are going to be leaving to go plant a church in early 2021. So they're going to be leaving our staff here in just a few weeks. And so we wanted to invite Pastor Matt to come and speak to us as a part of this series as we kind of finish up his tenure on our staff. He's been on staff with us about four years, served so faithfully, and I'm so thankful for he and Mary Beth and their kids and their investment in Generations Church. And over the next few weeks, you're going to hear about our plan for what we're going to do in our staff and all of those things for the positions and the responsibilities that Pastor Matt and Pastor Steve have led so well over the last few years. But today, we just celebrate this new church plant, this new kingdom work for Pastor Matt, Pastor Steve, uh, to go and reach a new group of people in a new community. Now, while they are not a new campus of ours, as God has leading us to do over the next few years, they are a new kingdom work. So they're our brothers and sisters as they go to reach new people in a new community. And so we're really excited about that. Pastor Matt's going to share a little more about that. He's also going to continue this series today as he talks about the Good Samaritan as a part of Won't You Be My Neighbor. So why don't you do this with me? As he's taking the stage, he may actually be there right now. Why don't you go ahead and put your hands together and let's welcome Pastor Matt Popham to our stage. Well, good morning, Generations Church. So glad to be with you and worshiping the Lord in person. Isn't that fantastic? You know, yeah. would, that, would that the call of God would not be so painful? You know, but oftentimes when we do what the Lord calls us to do, it costs us something, you know. Uh, but the mandate in Scripture that Christ gives us is clear in Matthew 28, verse 19. He tells us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So for us, as the body of Christ, we are to be constantly in the process of making disciples who then go out and make more disciples. That means that also as the church, we need to be planting churches that are constantly in the process of planting churches as well. So for me, my family, Pastor Steve and his family, the Lord has called us to go and plant a church. So and... In this season that we're in, I've really gotten nostalgic about things. I've looked back at our journey here at Generations Church and getting to know so many of you and how it's been a blessing to us and just what the Lord has orchestrated in my life to bring me personally to this moment. And when I think about it, the Lord has always had me in and around startup type of things. 
So back in the mid-90s, my parents were actually part of a church plant uh, in Cartersville, Georgia, which is where we live, and consequently will be where we will be planting our church as well. So, and then when I fast forward a little bit, when I was a teenager and just really figuring out what the Lord was calling me to do, I actually cut my teeth preaching in a single wide trailer in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right beside the airport where my mother and my stepfather lived. Those were awesome times. Uh, and then uh, as I got a little bit older, uh, in my early 20s, I constantly f- I found myself in churches that you know, had fallen on hard times, and I was asked to go to you know, just kind of help get them back up on their feet. And when Mary Beth and I were married, um, a few years after that, in 2008, we were asked to be part of a church plant uh, that was leaving our home church. And we went, and we were with that work for a year and a half. And then God had called us from there to go and serve uh, in the warm climate of Minot, North Dakota, about five miles south of the Canadian border. Our, our sister weather city was literally inside the Arctic Circle somewhere in Alaska. But there, I, I'll never forget it. It was sometime in 2011. I think it was in the wintertime. And I was uh, looking, I was watching a church conference on my computer. And I just felt the Lord drop into my spirit just as clear as a bell that about like that, that uh, perfect timing, that the Lord wanted me to plant a church. So, and that was back in 2011, and here we are, some 10 years later, and we're on the edge of doing that. So I want to take a moment and encourage somebody that if you feel that God is calling you to do something in your life, be sure that He will complete the work that He begins. It might not happen in your time, but it's going to happen in His time. And when it does happen in His time, that means that it is according to His perfect timing and will. The thing that we have to do in our waiting on God to do what He has called us to do is to remain faithful at the things that He has put right in front of our face. So if you're in that moment right there and you're in the the tension of figuring out God what am I to do next just lean into what God has called you to do now and serve him faithfully with the best of your ability but you know my story what God has done through me is really not front and center what's going on right here you know And that's true for all of us. Whatever God is doing in our lives individually, it's part of what God is trying to do in His church and in the world on a corporate scale. And for us, particularly at Generations Church, this began way back in the early 1900s when a revival came to Atlanta, Georgia. In those days, it was a tent revival, and so many of those traveled around. And out of those services, a church was born. And they found their home on 6th Street in Atlanta and called themselves the 6th Street Church of God. And as that church grew and God did an amazing work in in them and in the city of Atlanta, uh, they moved to Hemp Hill. uh, And they were known as the Hemp Hill Church of God. And then finally from Hemp Hill, they moved to a property off of Mount Perrin Road. And that church today is known as Mount Perrin Church of God and exists to this day. So in the mid-80s, The pastor of that church, his name was Dr. Paul Walker. He had a vision of church planting. He wanted uh, that the, the gospel to go out into the greater Atlanta area. So they planted several churches 
in and around that city, one of which was Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. So, and it was at Mount Perrin North in the mid-2000s when Pastor Jeremy and Corey Isaacs were hired as the youth pastors. They moved from Alabama to take on that role, but when they moved from Alabama to Georgia, guess where they moved? They moved to Canton, Georgia. And as, as the Lord would work in those situations, God moved on the heart of Pastor Mark to plant and do a work in northern Cherokee County. So Pastor Jeremy and Corey and a team of individuals from Mount Perrin North came up here. And uh, on January the 8th, 2012, the first service of what was then the Mount Perrin North Canton campus occurred. <laughs> Fast forward several years, August 1st, 2017, the church disengaged in a healthy manner from Mount Perrin North and became a thriving and healthy autonomous church. In January 1st, 2020, we officially became Generations Church. And as Pastor Jeremy said on the video, the heart of him and Corey is to plant churches in the greater Cherokee County area and reach them with the gospel. And although we're going to be a, an autonomous church from the beginning, we are very much part and parcel of the dreams and the visions of the particular group that, of people that God got together in Atlanta, whose ministry has gradually spread northward into Georgia. You know, as we stand on the precipice of what God wants us to do in Cartersville and in Bartow County, the DNA of Generations Church is going to be interwoven into the fabric of who we are and the ministry that God has called us to accomplish. Reformation Church will exist because of Generations Church. Because generations matter... Reformation Church has been fueled to live out the purpose for which God has purposely called us. And it's because of Generations Church that Reformation Church will be able to help the people of Cartersville and Bartow County pursue more. Now, amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. So, I know what you're thinking. Gosh, that's a lot on church planning. And man, that just sounds like a lot of work. You know, that would happen over a lot of time. What, what in the world would cause a group of people to go through so much trouble just to plant more churches? Well, the answer is simple. It's a deep-seated compassion for lost people birthed by God in the hearts of the redeemed. It's the answer to the age-old question, Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is a resounding yes. We are our brother's keeper. And in fact, God wants us all to live and show compassion towards our neighbors. That's what church planning is all about ultimately. So then you might be sitting out there and asking yourself, well, who exactly is my neighbor? I'm so glad you asked that question because Jesus answers that wonderfully in the Gospels. So... If you have your Bibles or, you know, a device with the Bible app, go ahead and, and turn to Luke chapter 10. So we're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. That'll begin in verse 25. But 
I want you to put your finger on verse 17 because we're actually going to go back there because the story of the Good Samaritan, which most of us probably know, um, happens within the context of a larger conversation, and we're going to see what's going on there. So I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Let's go ahead and begin uh, in chapter 10, verse 25. And this is what the Bible says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. See, we've got some drama building already. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw them, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And, when he, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine, then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay when you come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So let me, set, let me set this conversation up right here. So Jesus in this story is specifically talking to a lawyer, all right? So something has happened that has called the lawyer to be a little sensitive that day. He's got his rear end in a wad for some reason, and he's trying to really test Jesus. So when we go back, even as far as to the beginning of chapter 10, we see Jesus in chapter 10, verse 1, sending 70 or 72 of his disciples out to teach and preach and heal people, do ministry among the towns. Then we come to, to verse 17, and there these people, Jesus' disciples, are coming back, and they are stoked. They are excited because, we'll pick up here in verse, in verse 17, they're able to cast out demons. So let's see what the Bible says. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Wow! They have got power that they've never had before. And then I can just picture Jesus just standing there, Listen to that. Maybe he's standing up against a tree. And he's like, eh, you know, I saw, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Here, guys. Um, sure, I gave you all this power. And you can cast out demons. You can do all this stuff. And certainly you are going to be protected. But... Nevertheless, in verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Isn't that like us sometimes? Don't we, don't we find ourselves celebrating the results of God's grace in our lives rather than celebrating the origin of that gift sometimes? You see, and when we do this, it leads to a look at me, look at all these great things that I did sort of attitude, which is prideful and, and conceited at best. And that seems to be exactly where the disciples are going to in uh, chapter 17. And Jesus is just heading them off at the pass. Jesus is trying to teach them what Paul writes to us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. So, and here, here's the thing. In the context of the entire passage that we've read here with, with the Good Samaritan, we can derive from this because Jesus made it all about et- the e- eternal destination of the disciples. We can say that we are able to extend divine compassion to our neighbors because we're saved. And everything we do in our Christian life flows out of the fact that we are recipients of God's amazing grace. So that's just where it begins to get good, in my opinion. So Jesus, at the very least, he has kind of scolded the disciples a little bit here. And now he's going into uh, a point where it's, uh, it's a little sarcastic. Maybe it's borderline insult. I think it's hilarious. We'll read it here in verse 21. It says that in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So Jesus has just called a group of 70 grown men little children. And I can just see the lawyer in the bunch right now, face kind of getting red. Everybody else, you know, maybe they're like Simon Peter, you know, a little bit more dense. And um, their lawyer's like, we're getting insulted. And everybody else is like, oh. So I think the lawyer's getting mad at this point. So, the, so the, then we go on. Uh, then, then Jesus, he continues to pray to the Father in verse 22. Then in verse 23, he turns to the disciples when he's done praying, and he says to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not hear it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Jesus is saying, you guys are lucky to even be here. You shouldn't even be with me right now. There, there were men in history that would have killed to be in the cheap seats at the Sermon on the Mount. And you guys are here celebrating, casting out demons, when you should be rejoicing that your names are written in heaven. Goodness gracious. So at that, like the lawyer has had as much as he can handle. So I think the lawyer, he's probably the 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 learned man in the group. And bear in mind, like, Jesus hasn't gone to Calvary, so they don't, like, have that revelation, maybe that he's the Son of God at this point. So lawyers just thinking, hey, this is a prophet of God, but at the very least, this is a carpenter from Galilee, 
And the lawyer has spent 30 years of his life learning the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He can recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by heart. So he's had enough, so he's going to stand up. And as the Bible says, the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. And then we have our exchange there. So, and they go back and forth, and it's like G Jesus, he asked Jesus, so Jesus, you made it about eternal life. What do we need to do to have eternal life? And then Jesus turns around and says, what do you think the Bible says to you? So we've got this battle of wits. It seems like it's going on here. And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. Do those things. I think Jesus is trying to put it, put it to bed. But then the lawyer, I, he just, he's got to push a little bit further, and he's got to say, well, then who is my neighbor? I can just see, see Jesus saying, well, I'm so glad that you asked because I have an excellent answer for you. And in fact, for us, Jesus definitively answers the question. And he also illustrates exactly what godly compassion toward our neighbors should look like. So as we actually get into the story of the Good Samaritan, remember that the context of these scriptures has to do with the joy that should fill each believer because their names, our names, are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And the purpose of this parable is to illustrate that the internal renovations of our heart are gracefully gifted by God and made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and is wrought in our lives by the active work of the Holy Spirit, and which is the driver of how we live our life in our outward actions. So let, let's take a closer look at the story of the Good Samaritan, and see what we can specifically learn from this. So beginning in ver verse 30, uh, the man, he was going down from Jerusalem to, Je to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat it. They beat him, and they departed, and they left him half dead. The first thing that we can learn is that we need to beware of the scallywags of Satan. All right? So the language here denotes that an unsavory band of highwaymen has waylaid our unassuming traveler. Okay? So they have attacked him, stripped him, and beat him and left him for dead. So what we can learn from that is we can be living our lives on purpose and on mission for God, yet there is a devil that lives, that exists in this world that's going about like a roaring lion, and he is seeking whom he will devour. There are some times in life that things just seem to, to, to happen to us and they leave us at the very best asking why. Why, God, God, did you cause this? God, did you allow this to be caused in my life? God, why, what is going on? But when we get to those, and, and I say when, because invariably we will be, the traveler in the ditch at some point in time in our life with uh, some, some sort of situation, when we get there, I believe that it's important for us to not lag on the why so much because the fact is, when it comes to these things, when we're, we're asking the questions, why did that person have to run the stop sign? Why is this person getting sick? Why did I lose my job? We could go, we could go clinically insane trying to figure out why when the reality of the situation is we won't know that this side of heaven. 
But what God would have us to do, and I'm not saying don't take time to grieve if you need to grieve, but I am saying that when we get our initial whys out of the way, let's look to God who has already provided the how to get out of that situation. So all we have to do is, is open up our Bible, and it tells us in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that those who love God, that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purposes. And then we're encouraged because we know when the highwaymen of hell jump out of behind the bushes to give us a spiritual beatdown, not only do we know that we serve a God who will not leave us nor forsake us, not only do we know that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, not only do we know that we are equipped to stand against the wiles of the devil, but we also know that there's a church filled with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and the mercy and the compassion of God who at some point in time is going to come down the road and ask us how we are and walk with us as the good Samaritan did to the place of our restoration so so when we're in that situation it's okay to ask why but just know that God is purposefully he's already got the the solution to your problem on the way notice the priest came by first the priest represents religion you know, when things go amok and amiss in our life, the first thing we might want to do is act religious. You know, I'm not saying don't, don't go to church, but, you know, people might go, go to church, but inherently there is nothing in church that can save you. The one who can save you is the one who created the church, whom I hope you will meet at the church, which is Jesus Christ. But religiosity, religion in any form, will not help you when you are laying down half-naked in a ditch. Then the Levite, came, the Levite came, came by, and these guys, they helped the people in the temple. This guy maybe represents, maybe represents ethics. You know, maybe when things go wrong in our lives, we take a look and we, we survey and we say, hey, what, what, have I done, what have I done wrong? What can I, you know, do to correct this situation right here? When what may be going on is spiritual and maybe what, maybe what God is trying to get you to do is just to, to look to Him for the answers. But notice that those two came by, they looked like they had the solution, but they didn't. How, how discouraging is that to the guy who is laying down? He's like, these guys are supposed to help me. If they don't help me, nobody's going to help me. But then all of a sudden, the Samaritan came by, and he was filled with the purpose of God, and he showed him compassion. Folks, that is exactly what the church is supposed to do in the world today. The Good Samaritan is an example of who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do in loving our neighbor. You know, the word neighbor in the passage here means in the original language, the one who is near or close by. So who do we show compassion to? Well, our neighbors. Well, who are our neighbors? Simply those who are close by to you. So what can we learn from the Good Samaritan about having compassion? Well, the first thing that we can learn is that God wants us as the church, if he has called the church to, to exhibit compassion, and we do that out of the excess of God working internally in our lives, 
then we first and foremost must share the compassion of the cross. So compassion, contrary to maybe popular opinion, is not a feeling. We often mistake it for a, for a feeling, but the compassion that the Samaritan showed, the man, was out of the excess of what God was doing on the inside of his life. See, he was able to have compassion in his heart because God had simply removed his heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. Remember that the conversation started with Jesus exhorting his disciples to rejoice because their names were written in heaven. Dear friends, to exhibit this type of godly compassion towards people, we must first experience this type of godly compassion for ourselves at the foot of the cross where Jesus died. We must surrender our lives to Him and allow Him to transform us and make us a new creature. And when we do, the Bible promises that He'll take our heavy yoke and He'll give us His burden, which is light and easy and filled with joy. So in order to show godly compassion to those around you, you first must experience the compassion of the cross for yourselves. The next thing we learn is that God has called each and every one of us to be a healer. In verse 34, verse 34 says, He went to him and bound his wounds. The redeemed of the Lord are called to be healer, healers. Saints, that's you and me. We are to interact with our neighbors and those that are around us with healing in mind. So how have you brought healing into a situation lately? When you write a post on social media, are you fueling the fires of discord? Or are you applying the balm of Gilead to the situation? When you're at work, are you magnifying the problems or are you bringing the solutions? Are you gossiping about others or are you going to them and seeking reconciliation and seeing what is it that we need to fix here in order for us to go forward? See, I believe that the church is supposed to be a picture of Revelation chapter 22 on the earth. See, and since we have been saved inside of ourselves, there is a fountain of living water that is springing up into eternal lives. And the Holy Spirit is living and active in our hearts and He's working to produce spiritual fruit. Therefore, the leaves of our personal spiritual planting should always bring healing to those who are around us. As Christians, our public policy should be to bring healing into every situation and encounter with our neighbors, those who are around us. So next, God has called us to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Take notice that the Samaritan, he had, he had an excess of wine and oil with him. In the scriptures, wine and oil is always representative of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he obviously had it. If he didn't have enough, if, he did, if the Samaritan didn't have it overflowing, in overflowing supply, he wouldn't have been able to help his neighbor the way that God had intended it to. So in order for us to help, to be in a position for us to really truly help our neighbors the way that God wants us to, we need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. 
Let's consider Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 for a moment. The Apostle Paul writes here, And do not get drunk with, with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word translated as be filled is pleirusthei. It is a verb that's in the present tense, the imperative mood, it's in the passive voice. So the fundamental use of the imperative mood in New Testament Greek is to express a command. And in this situation specifically, it means that we should do something repeatedly. So God is commanding us through His Word that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Dr. Harold Honer, who is my, my favorite commentator on the book of Ephesians, um, he writes that believers are to be filled by the Spirit. Thus, believers are exhorted to be filled repeatedly with the Holy Spirit no matter where they are or what they are doing. In the process of salvation, God saves us. There's nothing that, that we can do to save ourselves. But once we are saved, we live the Christian, the Christian life cooperantly with the Holy Spirit, continually, continually submitting ourselves so that we will be continually filled, so that the fruit that we are bearing in our lives will continually be, be fresh, so that we can grow ourselves and so that our relationship with our neighbors can be filled with an overabundance of healing and compassion. But you have to have that excess. So my question for you is, when was the last time that you were filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? If it's been a while, I encourage you to stop what you're doing right now. Bow your head and just ask God to fill you afresh with His Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be an ecstatic experience, but if you ask God, He will faithfully answer that, and the oil of His joy will flow from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You will be refreshed. You will be renewed. You will be able to walk out of this place in the power of the Holy Spirit, which from this text communicates to us, which is how we are able to effectively show godly compassion to our neighbors in the first place. So as we come to a close, the last thing that I think that we can learn from this passage, passage is that compassion is the doorway to caring. Uh, you, you see at the end of verse 34 going into verse 35 that the Samaritan put the guy in the ditch on his animal and he brought him to an inn where they took care of him. And the next day he even he, he paid the innkeeper and said, continue to take care of him, and whatever you spend, I'll repay you when you come back. At this point, the good Samaritan had decided to go all in. So he made the commitment to walk with the man through the process of restoration. When was the last time that you walked through the healing process with someone? You know, and this takes many forms. Maybe it's a loved one, a parent, or a grandparent that you're literally walking through healing in a health situation. Maybe it's a friend who's gone through some type of emotional trauma and you're, you're walking with them through that. 
maybe, just maybe, God has connected you with someone who is young in the faith and He's calling you to disciple and mentor that person and He has called you to bring them along into a growing faith with the Lord. But in each of these cases and in every case where care is required of us, it is going to cost us something. Which is why we should constantly be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit so that we can have that excess in our lives, our cups overflowing, so that we can always be able to engage the world in need because we have the hope that they are seriously needing, wanting, and desiring flowing out of us. When we make the commitment to do that, invariably we're going to get down into the messy parts of people's lives where the dirt and the muck and the weeds are there and it can be a nasty place. Which is why we need to be healers as well. Bring that balm of Gilead to put over those wounds in their lives. But you know, as I describe this, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, I can't do this for all of my neighbors and God doesn't call you to. So the fact is, you might not be able to do it for everybody, but you can do this for somebody. And I would argue that at some point in time in your life, God will call you to do this and walk this way with someone. So I just encourage you to do for one what you would like to do for everyone. So, the question is, is there right now a neighbor, someone close to you, in your life that God is moving you to share, to have godly compassion for? If so, I encourage you before the day is out, contact that person and begin to care for them. In closing, I'll just sum up what we have learned, what I hope we've learned today. Number one, the story of the Good Samaritan is really a story, a factual account, rather, of salvation. When you read the scriptures, there's actually humor and real life behind it when we take the time to read it. Who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone who is close by to us. Beware of Satan's scallywags. They're waiting behind a bush somewhere to waylay you. But greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. And if you come across someone who has been waylaid by the highway, by the highwaymen of hell, and they're laying face down in the ditch, beaten half to death and naked, God has called you to do four things. Share the compassion of Christ with them. Be a healer. Be continually filled with the Spirit so that you can help that person in need and then compassionately care for others. 
So within that, I've got three challenges that I want to issue you today. The first one is, if you have not experienced the compassion of the cross for yourself, then friend, today is the day of salvation. Calvary has come to you. Why don't you lay your burdens down at the foot of the cross? Don't put it off any longer. Allow the love and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ to wash over your soul. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life today. Then number two, be filled with the Spirit. If you didn't pray that prayer earlier, pray it right now. If you don't want to pray it right now, pray pray it before the day is out. Let God just come in and wash over your heart. Renew your soul. Transform you. Allow your mind to be renewed. Then number three, this is for everybody. Find a neighbor that you can have compassion on this week. See what God does in your life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would help us to be compassionate towards our neighbors. God, I pray that you would help us to be the church in our communities, in our families, in our homes, to our friends, in our workplaces. God, I pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to go out and be healers. Help us to care for people. God, just draw us close to you in the process. Fill us daily, freshly with your Holy Spirit so that we can share your compassion with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.